Hello and welcome to my office. I'm Kara Lorenz. Thanks for joining me in conversations with fearless leaders from around the world to discuss the mechanics of high performance, success and failure, and what it takes to achieve more than you ever thought possible. Through the conversation ahead, I hope to challenge, inform, and inspire you to move fearlessly to higher levels of performance and to go further, faster. And that conversation starts right now. Stepping into my office this week is someone who is not only a volleyball legend and superstar, but she's a former professional beach volleyball player and Nike's first female spokeswoman. But she's now also an entrepreneur, a fitness expert, a New York Times bestselling author, and a podcast host, as well as a mom, Gabrielle Reese. Gabrielle, welcome to my office. Thank you. You can just call me Gabby. Okay. <laughs> Fantastic. So you always seem to be on the move. Where can we find you today? I'm currently in Malibu, uh, California. We have an event that we're doing. We do a few a year. They're just two and a half day sort of all encompassing health and fitness, but that sort of has a limiting um, notion to it. And so we're sort of smack in the middle of doing that. So that's a great segue because what I'd like to do today is to dig into some of the mechanics of high performance, success and failure, and actually what it takes over the course of time to not only reach peak performance, but also then to be able to sustain it. And you've had an amazing career, as, as I uh, stated right at the get-go. You set some records in college. Can you kind of bring us back to that time and give people who may not be as familiar with your background uh, just a little bit of insight into who you are? Sure. I ended up um, sort of a happy accident playing college volleyball at Florida State indoor. And then I was also in the fashion business at the same time. I had a scholarship for two years and then I gave up my scholarship because of NCAA rules so I could continue to play and work. And so then I went on and sort of fell into beach volleyball after my college career because instead of moving back to New York for full time, I moved to Miami Beach where I picked up the beach game. And then um, about a year and a half after that, I moved to California where then I pursued a career in professional beach volleyball. I, I would say I have a different story in one way, which is not everything was so planned. I am a very strategic person, but I think certainly in the beginning of my career, I, I just followed things that I was interested in and seemed like I could do. It wasn't like, oh, this was a lifelong dream. Have you followed, have you seen just in the last week or so that the NCAA has allowed for the name, image, and likeness? Yeah, I did. Of course, I've been following that. And it makes a lot of sense, especially if you're talking about athletes where maybe their families don't have the opportunity to provide outside support, even beyond what the athlete's able to get for the university. And, and sometimes that creates pretty difficult situations, I think, for the athletes. For me, people don't realize it is a job. It, and especially if you're talking about big universities, if you're talking about football and, and really any of these sports, these athletes, this is their job. So I really am glad to see that, that they've put that in place because ultimately it's just going to create a better environment for the athlete to focus on the things that they, they need to and want to and not maybe have to worry about certain other things. So Gabby, you had to make a decision uh, that predates name, image, and likeness that you had to have the confidence to think that I'm going to leave this volleyball career that has served me very well 
and I'm going to go all in into the fashion world, into the editorial world. Where did that confidence come from? Did you always have it or did you just trust that you would figure it out? Oh, I, did, I didn't leave my college volleyball career. I just paid to play. So I was actually using my modeling money uh, to support myself fully and wholly for my last two seasons. So I became a scholarship athlete who I paid to play. And for me, I, I just weighed out the pros and cons and I could make it a day what it would cost to pay for the year to go to school. And it was an investment that I thought was worth, the gamble was worth for me because I, I was really inside myself, a volleyball player, as far as in mentality and what I loved and what I was passionate about. But I understood the real opportunity in fashion and in modeling. And because I didn't have the support of my family, just that was the nature of the beast. I thought this would be a way I could sort of take care of everything. Uh, got it. So you just, you had to essentially give up your scholarship, but they still allowed you to play at the same time because they were two uh, non-conflicting business interests, if you will. So where you get into problems with the NCAAs is when it appears that you are using your sport in a professional way. And, and it, they're a little, the screws are a little tighter on you when you're on a, when you're on a scholarship. So I eliminated that issue because every time we go to the NCAA tournament, there were other coaches that were complaining about me. Naturally, it makes sense that I was somehow utilizing my volleyball to help my fashion career, even though they were actually pretty church and state. I thought, well, we can eliminate that pretty quickly. You know, there's nothing much to say about that because I was showing my dedication as an athlete and um, I was taking care of business. And as long as I was eligible to play on the amount of credits, so I would go back to summer school. I took off spring. I would go to summer school and I had enough credits to be eligible to compete. Got it. Got it. So you had a really early start then on figuring out how to balance all of the things. And your career then blossomed, certainly, as a, as a pro beach volleyball player. But you also were establishing your entrepreneurial roots. What was it about doing the entrepreneur part that you found captivating and maybe even a little bit scary at the same time? You know, I'd love to think I was that smart. Uh, the reality <laughs> is, is that I just was in, a, in an environment where I understood that there was a level of hustle that was going to be necessary. So, for example, even though I was in fashion, you understand the shelf life is very short. You just know it. And if you don't, then you're not being honest with yourself. So going in, I'm like, okay, I understand there's a, you know, the runway is limited. So then I became a professional athlete and that too has the same situation. Not to mention, it wasn't like women's tennis where if you're like, hey, listen, if I'm really good at this game, that's actually all I'll need to probably do. I understood that even, you know, the greatest volleyball players in the world it's a small platform. So that creates this idea of I better pay attention and look around and see what other areas that are connected. Because that's the other thing is, right, how do you get all efforts moving in the same direction? Not, well, I have this thing over here and that thing over there. Because not only do you not maximize your time, it just sort of nothing happens. So that's why I started looking at television and even writing when I was very young, like for example, I had a friend, Gilles Ben Simone, he's a very famous photographer who shot every cover of American Elle magazine. I started working with him when I was 18. When I was 22, I said, Gilles, I want to write a column. And so what I did was I did things that were an organic extension of what I was already doing, but that I was genuinely interested in and I thought I could do. And so maybe that was more it is seeing like 
I know where all the limitations are, or I can feel there's a lot of them. How do I do things to expand the lane and the opportunity to communicate and expand the business? And so I think that's actually how I got the sort of notion about being an entrepreneur and being proactive. So it sounds like that kind of came organically to you, which is interesting to me, especially when you hear right now, there's so much messaging around, you just have to find your purpose. And, you know, I call it a little bit of Instagram BS, you know, the happy go lucky sparkle and butterflies of if, if you find your purpose, you'll never work a day in your life. And being the mom of four kids, I find that uh, pretty disconcerting as well, as well as for a lot of other people out there who think that they're lost or adrift because they haven't found their purpose. And yeah, I'd be curious to know, because you branched off in so many different areas, was it through doing so many different things, then discovered what were the things that you really like to do and what were the things where you're like, yeah, maybe that's not actually my jam? Absolutely. I think it's a, it's a process. And, you know, we can't know sometimes until we experience something. So for example, let's take modeling. It's a really defined category. I learned a lot there. I worked with incredibly talented image makers, hair, makeup, photographers, people that are artists. So what it did was I, I never really thought, oh, I'm connecting to this lifestyle of, you know, you're traveling all the time and, oh, you look beautiful. It's like none of that really was a thing for me, but I understood I was getting an education. Did I know how I was going to use that later? No. But then once I became a professional athlete, I understood the importance of image and also coming from a small sport being like, Hey, people are going to see me so seldom. So when they do, you better make sure that it's the image that you feel you, who you are and how you'd like to portray. You better make it a little bit slick because you understand sort of the power of that. And I think when you talk about purpose, I think we have a lot of purposes in life and they change throughout our life. And I think that it doesn't land on our head. I think taking the steps into things that feel compelling to us, that also connect to us, like in our skill set. So really that's being honest with ourselves and knowing who we are and what we have to offer. I think when we can get those things to jive, then we have the opportunity that, okay, now the work starts. And, and you do that for a while. And then I think what starts to happen is you go, okay, this seems to be working. Let's say it's working. Then you have to keep your eyes on the horizon in the way of like, this isn't going to last forever. I don't want to be a one trick pony. Who am I becoming? What now is exciting me and interesting me? Not like what I've been good at and try to keep repeating that on a loop. So I think people misconstrue this idea of what purpose is because it keeps blossoming and changing. And hopefully because we get life's experience, we have relationships, we have business experiences, we have failures, we have all these things that sort of inform us that then our purposes, they shift and change and also maybe even get more gravity to them where we can, you know, we can figure out how to contribute more. Um, but yeah, I mean, listen, Insta social media and things like that, there's a lot of fairy dust to things. And, and also this idea of, we can also just talk about our feelings. I'm very solution oriented. And I think it's so important to understand how we feel, what makes us scared, what makes us feel sad, what makes us feel good. But I also think right behind that needs to be sort of a real conversation around, cool, what do you want to do about it? And so I think that there's also that vibrating at the same time of like everyone thinking something's all fully baked is going to just drop from the sky. There you go. And it's going to be amazing. And by the way, even when it's going good, 
I don't sit there and go, oh my God, this is amazing. I'm like, yes, this is where I should be. It's working out, but it's usually feels like a lot of work, but work you want to do. Right, right. And I think that's that's something that is, uh, it's a fascinating puzzle for a lot of people who maybe necessarily haven't been exposed to that as being either a thought process or even understanding that that can be a learned skill set, right? That when you run into challenge, when you run into adversity, or when you run into something that's uh, hit you blunt, full force trauma in the face, it's, okay, take a breath, take a beat, and what's next? And it's that what's next or the and that I think can be so powerful for so many people. Uh, I spoke with Olympic hockey player Hillary Knight just a few weeks ago, and she is essentially, you know, she's in the prime of her career right now. And yet I look at what she's doing. She's 30 or 31, I think, and going for her fourth Olympics now. And she's starting to make that transition of, you know, developing the Professional Women's Hockey League, trying to already extend a hand back and bring more women and girls with her and equality in sports and investment and all of these things. Did you get any really good advice when you were in that athlete starting to transition role? Or were you just kind of left alone trying to figure it out? How do you navigate it by yourself? At the height of my athletic career, I had one other, maybe two other real careers simultaneously. I was parallel pathing the whole time because the other sneaky, weird part is everybody wants to help you when it's kind of happening. And even the best players, with the exception of like just a couple, you know, like if you're LeBron James, you're someone's always going to be there to help you because you're LeBron James. But generally, when you come from smaller sports, it's utilizing the momentum and the relationships while you're actually in it. You know, I think they don't educate athletes enough to understand that's the best time to get help is sort of when people have the perception that you don't need it. I was always looking to be, it's weird. Like I'm a very linear thinking person in so many ways, but on this other side, I have a high level of creativity of what do I want to create? What's that going to look like? Cause I'm well aware that it's going to take five years to even have it look like something. So you better start now. So I think that I long before I was done competing, I was, um, you know, really into other things. And the other thing too, was there were times that I was perfectly willing to disassociate from my identity as an athlete, because the problem is, is it's not sustainable. So it just depends where you're at. Like if that's when it's in your favor, then great. You use that identity. It helps you. It, you can call people. You can raise capital, whatever that is. But then there's a time to actually try to strip away from all those identities and say, well, actually I have a different set of a skill set and see what that looks like too. So I, I also think it's case by case. And that's really important. I looked around for people for education and for inspiration, but I think it's really important when people want to do things that they don't mimic people because then you're always behind versus if you have that chance to quietly listen to yourself truthfully and say like, who am I really, what do I really have to offer? Instead of always looking and being like, wow, that works. I need to emulate that. Um, it's hard to do, but I really think in the long run that takes a different kind of pressure off. It takes a second and it takes work. Like you have to kind of mm -hmm. then say, 
oh, okay, well, this is who I think I am, but actually I have some kind of rough edges here. I need to work on this, or this is like, I have a real deficit, so I actually would need to partner with somebody who's really good at that because I'm not, or whatever that is. Well, and that's one thing I found really interesting, even following your podcast, that one of the things that I've picked up on, or the way I internalize it, the story I'm telling myself, is that you are somebody who is also uh, not not only relentlessly pursuing something, but you're relentlessly curious. And that's not only admirable, but I think it's the one thing that certainly in times like we have right now, where, where there's so much change and it's coming at us so fast, that people oftentimes are looking for that magic metric or that magic aha I've arrived. And and certainly for those people who are in in, uh, the athletic realm, you have statistics, right? You've got wins, you've got losses. For linear thinkers, it's very easy because you you can see what's what. But when you start moving into different categories or you are now an innovator, you're an entrepreneur and a parent, how do you define success for yourself right now when you're wearing all of those hats at the same time? Like so many people, I, I had difficulties growing up. And so it's interesting if I look back for what I needed, in certain ways, what I have needed is so simple. I wanted to have a safe home, a clean home. I wanted to you know, buy the best quality food. I wanted to be able to afford that. I wanted to drive a car that I, I could rely on. You know, I've been in a marriage, I've been in a partnership for 25 years. I wanted to have a, a crack at, if that was my calling, to be with somebody that I was excited about. And then as a parent, you know, that's like a moving target, right? Like my hope is, is that my children know that I love them deeply and I believe in them and that I support them. I go to bed every night cons- like I said to my husband yesterday, I'm so tired of feeling like I'm not getting this. And I've been a parent for 25 years. You know, it's like parents that are like, oh, we do this and they're on this program and that. And by the way, my husband is a defiant person and so am I in a different way. And our children are exactly the same way. And they're going in an unconventional way. So it makes me insecure as a parent. I think success for me was so simple that also I felt like I was being honest. The people who were close to me, I was being honestly myself, even my public persona, that somehow it was really an honest reflection of who I was. I didn't want to fool anyone or trick anyone. I don't want to sell anyone perfection. So success for me was like, did I respect myself and how hard I was willing to work? Because people have their opinions. So you better be clear with yourself. Like, are you putting in a good, solid, honest day's work? And what's your intention? Is your intention like, I need lots of money and I want power and I want fame? Or is your intention like, I want to be creative and yeah, I want to have enough leverage to have the business that I want to have or to call the people I want to call. That's, I'm not going to BS. Success for me just equates leverage to do more of the real stuff you want to do. I think it's having access and being around people that I'm inspired by that I can learn from. And so my, my target for success, I think, was so different. And, and I heard, and I've said this before, and it's kind of a funny person to quote, Arnold Schwarzenegger said, success is when your external life matches your internal self. And I just really, when I heard that, I was like, yeah, exactly. You know, I don't need, you know, yellow diamonds or like, that's not been my thing. But I would like to be really healthy and really strong. You know, the idea of growing businesses that thrive and kick ass, absolutely. That's where I feel like my external life, for the most part, sort of matches me. Well, I think it's interesting to hear what you're saying about even your 
parenting your kids, because I've got uh, one of my daughters, particularly my husband will look at me sometimes and raise his eyebrows and just kind of say the apple didn't fall far from the tree on that one. And and you have to learn how to navigate that, right? Where, where you have enough guardrails up that something catastrophic doesn't happen, but also where they are building the skill sets and the values that allow them to get through really challenging times hopefully with, with their health and sanity intact. And did you find, or because certainly globally, we're still at a point where different parts around the world, different communities are still struggling to get through their piece of the global pandemic. How were you able to nurture and, and keep your kids' sanity intact during that time when I'm going to assume yours, like mine, were now suddenly forced into a world where they had to be on their devices all the time. I know, and they were probably that sad about it, but I'm kidding. But you know, it's like, think about these ages. My youngest daughter's 13. Who, who doesn't want to lay around and be on their device all the time? <laughs> when I think back to what I was doing when I was 13, like when I went to college at 17, I don't think my teammates even thought I was going to pull it. And I'm probably one of the most hardworking, disciplined people. You would have said, oh, this kid looks organized and she keeps her room clean. But you would have been like, oh, yeah, she's a go-getter at 13, right? So here's what I know. It's what we're doing and saying. And so if my husband and I are like, okay, this is a little unusual, but we're going to take care of ourselves and we're going to do that. And yes, they feel nagged, I'm sure. At the end of the day, it's like throwing the red flag, but you and I did not grow up with these devices. We cannot possibly understand one, the way their brains have developed two, actually what this whole ethos really is. We can stick our foot in it and be on social media, but we don't actually understand. Like this is actually how they connect, right? So I think for me, this is a time and if people have younger children, they're going to have a better system in place. My kids are the experiment, right? 17, 13, I have a 25-year-old. The 25-year-old's on the outside of the envelope. The 13-year-old's in the sweet spot. It's like, oh, these kids are the, the experiment. Is I'm modeling it. Occasionally, it's like, hey, you know what? You guys got to go outside. And then also acknowledging, hey, this is hard. And we know it's hard. And um, we're not going to BS with you. And we still got to figure out the way to get stuff done and take care of ourselves. But I sort of default to the mechanism of be trying to be the example. Right. And and I'm sure that's hard for you as well, too, just from a, not that you're necessarily communicating, you know, back channel on TikTok or Instagram DMs all the time, but because of your company and because you're a business owner, you're forced to be, no kidding, on your laptop, right? Or your phone, whether that's probably answering emails coming up with great new products or, or solutions to products. So then as much as you'd like to be modeling it, you also have your phone in your hand or, or you're, you're on your laptop and, and that presents a challenge in itself as well. I think it's just an honest dialogue, right? Cause that's the thing, right? We never, we never want to be a hypocrite. So I have workspaces where I go in and I work. So if I'm out in a different space with my kids, sometimes it's like, or they say, can I talk to you? I take my phone, I put it, turn it upside down. I put it flat. I slide it away. And I'm like, yes, what is it? So it's trying to have those little practices in it. And like, for example, I'll be driving my daughter somewhere and I'll say, I'm really sorry, excuse me, I have to be on this work call. So it's also acknowledging to them, I'm identifying this space. I know you and I are sharing space right now, and this is important because that's also real life. Like I have a one o'clock call and simultaneously you're going to do whatever activity. 
And so I would like to acknowledge it, but I'm, I need to do it. So I think it's just putting those in place a little bit. But again, I still go to bed most nights very insecure about the whole situation, for sure. Just about parenting alone, you mean, or parenting? The technology, because my husband, mm-hmm. you know, my husband is a very natural person. He is not white noise and BS. And even, you know, he's not, you can't get him off the North Star. And so he gets really angry. And I'm the mom and I'm like trying to ride it out because I'm also like, this is sort of their journey. And, you know, that which you resist persists. So I'm trying to be like a little bit, and I have daughters, I don't have a son. You know, it's like, I'm trying to be a little bit the voice of reason and a bridge so that they'll always come to us and always talk to us. And sometimes he's like, I'm going to run your phone over with a truck. And I'm like, (laughs) okay, it's good in theory. Is that really going to be the way, right? And, And actually he's right, right? Like his, his aggravation and his anger, he is right. But that isn't, so I'm still trying to be this sort of in between person. And sometimes I see him, he looks at me like, it's your fault, you know, that they're getting away with this. And I'm like, but I trust to try to keep the doors open. Mm-hmm. For me, still the most important thing is going to be that my girls can come to, to us and say, I'm feeling this way, I'm going through this. Not I have to hide everything from my parents because they are psycho or controlling. Because they just get sneaky and they get good at it. Oh, for sure. Next thing you know, your kids all have burner phones, <laughs> right? They'll, I mean, they'll, they'll figure it out somehow. And to your point, I know my kids are just a tiny bit older than yours, except for one at 24, 22, just turned 19 and 17. And our son is, is the third one in line. He's not nearly as involved on really much any social media, not, you know, doesn't do much on Snapchat or anything else. But what's been fascinating to me is even uh, the discussions that we're all having as parents of, of you see some parents that are just not, they just don't even care. They're oblivious to it. And they're like, oh, kids will be kids. Having no idea what's actually transpiring in the back channels. I said to my girls, listen, I'm not here to control you. And I, I made the mistake. I said, I'm here to try to teach you or provide an environment for you to control yourself. And then I had someone say, how about this? How to manage yourself. It isn't actually control because then control is a whole other set of issues. So just how do you manage yourself? This is what they're growing up with. How are you going to manage this? How is this going to fit into your life in a way that's going to work for you? Because I have people who will say to me, it's a tool. Yes. So how do we get them to use it as the tool that it is because it's not going anywhere and still have time to connect really with people, time to be able to have soft focus where they're not staring at a screen and they're out in nature because they that's really where you get your sense of well-being and have lives the ones that they want and make them none of us are happy every second it's not about that but at least know how to get that sense of well-being or peace with still living with a device in your life and so i've tried to rejigger how i think about it but yes like my husband would take a hammer and smash every last one of them but i think it's it is a very it's so new we forget how new it is that we're all just trying to figure it out. Right, right. It's not until all of a sudden you're, uh, if you're still on Facebook and your Facebook memory from 2011 pops up and you're like, ooh, I said that? Because you didn't even really know what Facebook was. And that was only 2011, right? That was only 10 years ago. But it's kind of like a three-legged triad, I think, right now of things that even as a parent, if if 
it doesn't cause you angst or even a business owner, maybe it should, is how to manage yourself, right? Health and wellness, 100%. Financial literacy, because I don't think our kids are getting much of that at all if they can just, you know, Venmo or flip their phone over. And that emotional literacy, right? Like how do we even, how do we find the words? How do we teach our kids or our teammates the right words to use around whatever it is they're feeling so that we can get to a place that's more valuable than where we are today without a bunch of word garbage, right? Which that was a really long sentence that maybe felt a little word garbagey. No, no, that makes sense. And also like, I'm a very direct person. And as I've gotten older, certainly I'm more direct. Sometimes my daughter's like, you're too harsh. And I'm like, yeah, no, like this is like very clear communication and there's like nothing attached to it, you know? And they have, because they've accessed all this information, it's like theater. They'll be like, well, you know, I'm feeling, I'm like, no, like, I'm not going to go all the way down the hole. I think it's also like, how do we also teach them how to meddle up a little bit? Because Mm -hmm. here's the deal. For me, no matter what, no matter how precious we all get with our words and it's my right to feel that way and all this stuff, life is hard and it's competitive and nature is savage and brutal. And so there has to be a part of all of us, if we're talking about sustaining or high performance, that you kind of have to take it. You better be able to take it and deal with it. And you can say, I don't like that. I'm not comfortable with that. And you can do something about it. But if you, if you get knocked off your axis and you can't get back up because you're uncomfortable about something, then you cannot leave your house. There's a little bit of that going on in the world. And I understand it because I feel like it's an overcorrection for some really bad behavior. So I get it. But if even in sport, it's like life's unfair. Yep. It's unfair. And so do you want to participate in making it better and right? And people are going to say things and do things that, you know, suck for you. But can you learn from that? Can you become stronger for that? You know, it's all these things that um, that is another element that concerns me for people now because and also people are afraid to say anything. Nobody can criticize anybody. There's no discussion and healthy debate, you know, reasonable sort of like, well, actually, I don't agree with everything that you're saying. Okay, great. Let's look at that. Let me talk about that with you. And we, I can even say, hey, I love and respect you deeply. And we feel exactly opposite on these three points. But over on the over here, these other 75 were kind of aligned. So like, that's the other thing too. It's not an all zero sum game. So I think it's trying to get back also to a little bit of nuance, tiny bit, because I feel like there's a lot of nuance in life and real communication, healthy conflict and complete accountability because you can blast things out to people without seeing it to their eyeballs or even identifying yourself on the device. At times it's like, no, really be accountable. Mean what you say say what you mean and be, and like do it. And so I think that I'm trying to exercise that with my children and have real discussion. And I have that in my workplace. And I learned that from great coaches. Like, I'm just giving you information. This isn't personal. Right now, that's not good enough. You're not a bad person. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. But if we're doing this job, it's not good enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I think you're, I think you're so spot on on that. And And I do think, again, and I know it goes back to, so this is a bit of two sides of the same coin when it comes to raising kids, when there are so many keyboard warriors or there's 
stuff that happens back channel that we have to then tease out of our kids of why maybe they're feeling down or why their feelings are hurt or what did they see on on that social media uh, piece of it. But then also from an accountability perspective, from a leadership perspective, I think that what we're not seeing right now in across the board in a lot of organizations, because the spotlight feels so white hot, instead of people taking accountability for a mistake and saying, that was a miss, we're going to figure it out, or simply saying, you know what, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll figure it out and we'll get back to you. There's all of this kind of smoke screening and BS going on, which then degrades trust, right? It degrades trust in the team. It doesn't build confidence. And next thing you know, people are filling in stories that they're telling themselves about what could be happening because maybe they're stressed, maybe they're really burned out or overworked, or there's not enough transparent communication that they're going to concoct a story. And there's such value in, in just saying, I'm not sure what the answer is to that, but we'll figure it out. Rich Devaney wrote a book called The 25 Attributes. And when he, when he talked about leadership, uh, Rich Devaney used to train special groups within the Navy SEALs. So you're talking about, you know, unique individuals. And what he said about leadership was, one, you had the ability to make a decision. Doesn't mean it's the right decision, but you could make a decision. Because the other second attribute, you were 100% accountable. That also gave you the flexibility to go, you know what? That was the wrong decision. I'm totally accountable. We're going to go this way now. Because they've also made us afraid because everyone can chime in and weigh in and cancel and all this stuff. And I would encourage people that along with accountability comes a sort of level of freedom because you're never presenting yourself as knowing everything or being perfect. What you're saying is, okay, I'll be in charge of this space and I'm going to be dedicated to doing the best that I can. And if I blow it, I will own it. I will either apologize and adjust or pivot. And really as human beings, I just don't know what else we can do other than that. And if someone else thinks that there's a different model that every single time you can make the right and perfect decision and say the exact right thing, then it's not realistic. So I found that to be a really great resource. And the other thing that he said that I thought was important for people who wanted to be in a leadership role you're actually not allowed to call yourself the leader. So if you say to me, hey, Gabby, you're going to be in charge of this department, then all I can say is I'm in charge of this department. It's only the people in that department that say that's our leader. People can't be like, I'm the leader. It's like that's actually an earned thing that's put on by the people who are willing to call you their leader. And so if people really want to be real leaders, I think that's so important to remember and the other and final thing that I thought was important is leaders are actually people who are supposed to put other people in environments for them to elevate and be their best selves. And so if you want to go in and be a leader to be in charge and be in power, it's really the wrong idea. If you think you have a knack for making people better or pulling out their strong suits and seeing it, then that would be an interesting agenda to go in for being a leader because, you know, that is one of the traits of somebody who is a real leader. In fact, it's not about that. I thought that those were interesting points that made a lot of sense to me. For sure. And it, I mean, it sure looks like, again, just from an outsider's perspective looking in, 
that both you and Laird definitely seem to lead by example with that. Uh, you've, you know, you've developed this company together, uh, M products with Laird superfoods, which correct me if I'm wrong, are they not all 100% plant-based? They are. So the, the company right. is every product has to have a function. Like every company, we've got bumpers and guidelines. Everything is plant-based. It's just better for the environment. That company was an accident and, uh, you know, we took it public last September. So we've been really fortunate with that. And um, we have a very, very good group of executives as well. And that's another thing. If people were just talking about straight entrepreneurship, the culture of your business, I have learned, is so very important. You can have the best business with the best idea and the best products. If your culture's off or there's some poison inside your culture, it can actually ruin your business. So I think it's not only about capable people, but it's about having a culture where overall people have kind of the same values and how you want to get there. I think that that really impacts the success of a company. How big is your company right now? Maybe 150 employees. We own a factory in Sisters, Oregon. Do you find that a, is, I'm imagining that you have a lot of people right now that are still working virtually or remote? Yeah, we do. I mean, you have to have the people at the, at the touching the product. Sure. But just to sort of be, um, you know, as safe and careful as possible. A lot of the executive team uh, has been off site unless they, they need to be there. So they, we really tried to manage that. I love the fact that uh, you you were kind of, and I, I do want to bring this up for a specific reason because you probably can't see in the background, but back over on the desk, I always bring with me in my suitcase, my layered superfood coffee creamer. Okay. <laughs> because the orange one, the original flavor? The or? original. Yeah, the original. Because I'm, although I love really good coffee, I'm in enough hotels and I have to get up at just unwieldy, uh, unfortunate hours oftentimes um, that you put just a tiny scoop of that in and it makes like literally anything drinkable for sure. I love it. And it has just that little, to me, a little taste of coconut. So I kind of always feel like I've got a little sip of vacation in my coffee. You should get the instant fuel. You just have to add hot water. It's the co- it's our organic Peruvian coffee already mixed with the original creamer. So that's another easy way to to do it. Well, what is what's up next for you? Uh, I know you're you're at an event right now. You're you're busy whipping people back into their or or continuing post pandemic shape, which is fantastic. Uh, what sparks joy for you right now? You know, it's interesting. I I am a person who. Uh, Again, I'm pretty even keeled. When I feel like I'm my sort of all is right in the family, doesn't mean perfect, but like everyone's overall pretty good uh, and I feel healthy and I feel like my marriage is healthy. I really enjoy this. This is another business of ours called XPT. And I really enjoy doing things where I am really at service for other people in the way that you get to coach them, you get to watch them not be able to do something, then be able to do something that really re-inspires me and also reminds me to keep putting myself in uncomfortable positions because at times I think we stop doing that where we just kind of do the things that we know we're pretty good at and so I'm I'm always inspired my husband does that very naturally and so I I try to remind myself to make sure I'm I'm still doing things that make me a little bit uncomfortable I, I really enjoy watching people learn or learning myself and progress I don't know so many things that are better than that in life. And I think that's what I loved about athletics. And um, 
And so that's sort of it. And I I do really enjoy my podcast because there's learning going on and it's forced learning, right? Like if I know I'm going to talk to someone and I have a book to read, I'm going to read the book. There's just a lot of people out there doing, trying to do a lot of good work. And I think if we believed everything that we read and saw that comes at us very easily, like the news, we would think contrary, but really when you're out there and you're interviewing people, you're reminded that most of us are probably like each other and we probably have more of the same thinking and that how we can keep at bay maybe some of the the things that pull us apart and so the the learning in the show really remind me like you know what there's a lot of badass people out there trying to do good stuff and and it's it makes me feel hopeful yeah i would agree it's it's i wish more people would actually listen to different podcasts uh, there are some, you know, uh, Dr. Andrew Huberman has an amazing podcast that's just kind of really taken off, I think. Well, he just started the podcast. He was doing a lot of interviews over the last year. I think you you had him on early on, right? Yeah, Huberman is a friend of ours, and he's a really uh, special person who I think takes up an interesting space where he's trying to make science and information about ourselves so attainable and comprehensive and he's really dedicated to that mission and he's a fascinating person. I think he, he does a really good job. And what's interesting is it's all pretty new. So I think mm-hmm. he's going to be even like more dangerous coming up. No, I would agree. I, he's, uh, the way that he makes science interesting and even applicable and just the stories that he tells or threads things together, whether it's about fear and anxiety, what dopamine levels do or serotonin or whatever. It's never condescending. It's always really informative. And he's so genuine and kind about it. And uh, his delivery, I think, is just amazing. I find him to be always a fascinating listen on so many different levels, for sure. And he's not looking to be right. He's just sharing the information with you and saying, hey, this works for me or this works for some other people. It doesn't work for me. But here's the science behind both sides of it. And that part I so appreciate because the science does tell us, as I know you you are probably aware of as well, as soon as you hear something that's negative or that confirms your belief, your ability to, to have your mind changed or for you to change your mind is really, really hard. Uh, we have to we have to work 95% harder to disprove, even if it's something that's wrong, what we believe to be true, simply because that's how strong our own biases are. So I think he does a really good job threading that needle, as do you in your conversations, I think, uh, do such an extraordinary job of that. So I'm glad you cracked the uh, the hatch on the podcast last year as well. I think it's, it's a gift to us all. Oh, well, thank you. And like I said, it's really just a great opportunity to My whole thing is I want to take very high level content and make it sort of available at a third grade level because I want to have people that I know are giving me the, at least the best that we know at that moment, but make it like, well, what does that mean in someone's nine to five, they're already overwhelmed life. Not, well, you know, if you have an extra seven hours a day, this is how you can feel better. You know, it's like, okay, come on, you know, and that was the thing I think for Laird and I both is like, we've had the good fortune of coming from this space of self-care or health and wellness. How do we make that more attainable for more people that need more support? Not just for like, oh, high level executives and athletes that really have quite a lot of support already. How do we break that down to somebody and go, hey, three things, you don't even have to add really too much time to your day. Here's a thought, see if that works for you and invite people 
into some of these spaces and, and make it really easy to understand. Yeah, I love that. I know one of the things uh, that really parallels what you were saying earlier about just the accountability piece and and staying curious and continuing to learn. Certainly uh, with my background as a former fighter pilot, one of the things that we used to always say in debriefs to each other was this idea, because we would debrief after every single flight, because we want to figure out what's working and what's not simply because we don't want to leave success or that better outcome or survival to chance. So we try to, and, and it's not always 100%, uh, you know, we're not always 100% successful at it, but we want to build this culture of being able to have debriefs, have conversations wrapped in the idea of just remember, it's not about who is right. It's about what's right. And when you go forward in a conversation with that being the premise or the reminder of, hey, just remember, it's not about who's right, it's about what's right. We're just trying to figure out what worked and what didn't. Then you can depersonalize it. What might be a really aggressive, really confrontation-filled conversation, take a breath, and what does it do? It gets you on that solutions-oriented path, right? Which builds in some space. Uh, I think some time for reflection as well in, in what can be a really uh, aggressive and, and difficult environment, which I think a lot of people find themselves in right now. And also just when you practice that, like you had to practice that because that was just part of your protocol, it becomes easier. It's like anything. It's like a muscle that you're like, okay, I can hear that. Or, you know, I understand where that's coming from. And it's funny, I've been talking to my husband you know, I had to learn how to say sorry. I'm very pr prideful. And um, also, I didn't grow up around adults that I trusted to say I was sorry. Mm. Like, that's the other thing. If we could teach our kids, like, if they say sorry, that you let it go. And, you know, go, remember last week when you did? It's like, no, the kid's like, I already apologized for that, right? So my husband is not prideful. He taught me how to apologize. And so it's interesting. I've watched him in many occasions, to your point, say like, oh, okay, I'm sorry. And like, this is a very masculine, rough, you know, kind of guy. And he's like, yeah, okay. Like if that's gonna, you know, make them feel better, or it's gonna move it along. It's like, why do I need to be like drilling, getting granular on stuff? Like, does it really matter? And so you coming from that background and talking about life and death, I think it makes it very clear that it isn't about, I need to be right. It's about, we all need to be safe and put the best systems in place so we can all come home. And I think sometimes if we don't live in these sort of intense environments, we get kind of silly on things that don't really matter. And when you visit with people like that have been shot at or they're facing radical things in nature, they're like, yeah, you're right, you win, awesome. I'm sorry, you go first, go ahead, you know? And so I think a little bit of that, when you learn about the power of yielding or the power of trying to be empathetic instead of dominating somebody. I think it liberates you to have more room, like you said, for some of these other bigger things that um, will just make your life cooler and more interesting, really. Yeah, for sure. And then the companion to that, I think, with all of that as well, is you start to develop the power of perspective taking 
And when you have that, when you're able to take a different perspective, naturally it's going to build, you're going to build empathy. And that doesn't mean you're a pushover, doesn't mean that you have to walk around with your vulnerability coat on all the time. You can just be empathetic and then again, get to a place that's more valuable with everybody intact instead of always having to, to search and destroy or just dominate on a personal level, not on succeeding on a professional level, which, you know, a little bit of a differentiator there. But it's that ability that, that just to kind of take it down a notch and, and be able to take a different perspective that allows you to utilize all those tools, the values that you say you have, instead of getting lost in the chaos of, of the moment or the emotion, um, which uh, unfortunately I think is, is a skill right now that um, a lot of people could probably polish up on, myself included on, on some days for sure. You know, I'm a work in progress, no doubt. It's oftentimes fear-based, right? So unless you're just really tired and you don't have your wits about you, a lot of times, if I act that way, it's because I'm afraid and I'm out of my center of power. And so that's the other thing is people think, well, if I'm all calm and cool or I let them or whatever, I, I'm not in my power. It's like, no, that's exactly when you're in your power is when you don't have to dominate. And that, that is an interesting, very interesting lesson. And I'm sure you've experienced this as a, you know, when you have the gear to be the alpha female. Sometimes I would want to solve things just like I'm 6'3", I'm 180 pounds, like I'm good. Like, okay, let's get all primal and weird. And I'm like, what are you, four years old? And like, in which part of your non-thinking brain? You know, it's like, get, come on, you know? So I think it's, you got to go through that to be like, oh no, I, I want to be as much as I can be in love and be in my kindness and still be clear. You can still have your boundaries and be clear. And I think that's what people don't realize is that you can really have very nice boundaries and still be like, how can I help you? Right. It's That's funny because I'm part of the, uh, I guess I'll call it the tall girl club as well. I'm six feet tall. And I think that just because of that, I'm six feet tall. You know, I was a division one rower. I was a fighter pilot. I think oftentimes people have the expectation that, uh, I might come in just like a big, you know, freight train, just like full bag of knots, just go, go, go. And I'm like, yeah, no, not really. I mean, don't come after my family or my country <laughs> because that's a different conversation, but that's not how I navigate through life. I don't have to be dominating. I don't have to crush everybody to feel like uh, that that's where success lies. And I think it's really unfortunate if people are operating in that space when I think they develop a little more confidence and maybe even some competence, if they just took a beat, did some work, maybe read a couple more books and uh, just showed up willing to do the work. That's how you end up crushing it day in and day out. Yeah. And, and I, I think never taking an us and them attitude in anything. I even say that like with men and women, that some of the mm. half people I know are men. So it's never it, it, like, is it gender? Is it, you know, religion is, it's never us or them. It, we're, it's us, it's we, it's, you know, it's, and I think sometimes when we do that, that's also helpful because then you just are case by case. Mm -hmm. Every experience you go into, it's case by case. You know, I could have a 19 year old kid with a piercing in the face and tattoos everywhere. It's like, cool, who is this person right in this moment in front of me? 
and how actually similar we might be. I don't know. That has also been really helpful for me is to try. My kids have taught me this even more, but just like, see what happens. Well, even the business that you're running right now with your, uh, with your fitness training perspective, you, you are, you're catering to clients of every demographic, which means you're going to have probably some, some former professional athletes, some 75 year old women who are terrified to start working out. And then they discover the power of a two pound dumbbell that then moves to three, that then moves to four. Um, but having that ability and, and the uh, opportunity to meet people where they are on that journey to help them on a better journey for them, I think has to be so enormously satisfying. It really is. And my other favorite thing that happens is you'll have people that they're just smart people, right? You'll get a middle-aged lady. I'm a middle-aged lady, whatever. And <laughs> they're like scared of ice, let's say, or whatever. And by the way, I can kick some 20-year-old asses in the pool. That's not the point. The point, I, the point is, is that you'll see these women like, I don't know if I can do it. And they get in the ice and you go, oh, she just locked and loaded because she's a smart person. And she figured out a way to get into her breath and go into her parasympathetic. And it's also reminding people, we all have special things wherever we are. And that part is so fun to see. Or the other thing that I really enjoy is people who are big, strong athletes, but they didn't have a lot of exposure to water growing up. And I always remind them, listen, you are doing the bravest thing. And to watch them go under the water, they have a dumbbell and watch that progress. Again, that's the reverse inspiration back to me to be like, it's so powerful to go out of your comfort zone intelligently and see what happens. 100%. On, on that, we agree completely. Well, Gabby, you have been a pleasure today. And, and I know respectful of your time. I know you've got a lot still to do this afternoon. Would you mind if we just did a quick last second uh, five question rapid fire questions? Sure. You lead, I follow. Okay. Super easy. Don't overthink it. So uh, the first one is, what is your go-to music when you're working out? If I'm in the pool, one of my playlists I have on Spotify is Rufus to Soul because it's very mellow. But if I'm doing hit training, it's super obnoxious, but the hardest rap music that I can probably <laughs> find because I don't want to hear my heavy breathing. Yeah. Yeah. Do your kids listen to that at all? Do they listen to any hardcore rap? I mean, I, you know, listen, I'm like, I'd rather you throw an F-bomb and you take care of yourself in life than like, oh my gosh, don't listen to that. And then, you know, like, who knows what you're doing? So I'm always like, you know, if you can't differentiate between real life and like, you know, and obviously if it gets radical, I'm like, listen, I don't want to hear that. But I listen to very hard rap for sure. Yeah. yeah. My workouts. Yeah. But mellow and calm because I don't want to burn more oxygen when I'm under the water. Sure, sure. Well, that makes sense. That's that's situationally very intelligent. We lived in Memphis for about 11 years. So my kids uh, grew up just by default listening to uh, a lot of a lot of different genres of music. And it's the one thing that they will roll their eyes to me about whenever I say anything about it is that I've got an ear for uh, I can pick up a hook really quickly. I, I'll listen to something new. Maybe it's, I don't know, Cardi B or whoever. And I'm like, oh, three stanzas in. I'm like, that's the hook from, you know, whatever, Big Diddy back in whatever. And they're like, no, it's not, mom. And I'm like, oh, stand by. And I will find that song in a heartbeat. So they're like, why do you always have to wreck it for us? And I'm like, no, I'm not wrecking it. I'm like, 
In between how we're going to eat a cupcake and the next line, I'm going to show you where that original hook came from. So I don't know. That's my secret skill set. If you ever, if you're ever on a game show and you need to phone the friend for the hook in a hard rap song, dial me up. We'll win the big bag for sure. <laughs> so who do you think of as a mentor? And as importantly, what did you need to learn from them? I mean, definitely my college coach, Cecile Renaud, Dr. Cecile Renaud, who's still my very dear friend. She was one of my many mentors. She taught me about being a woman who could conduct herself in a way that she didn't lose being a woman. I didn't forego being a woman, but still learn how to objectively give information, be it comfortable or uncomfortable. So it not only helped me with work, it helped me with when I'm coaching other people. And also this ability to instill in someone, you don't see it in yourself right now. I do. I believe in you. You're going to have to trust me more than you trust yourself right now. And that was really helpful because there's something really cool when you see in somebody like, oh, they have this. They just haven't, they don't know that yet. And so I learned a lot of that from her. And I learned also to stop trying to please everybody. Those are really good lessons for well, sure. As a female, you're always you know, I want to be, I want people to think I'm a nice person or a good person because that mm -hmm. feels important to me. And then I realized I just can't be in charge of that. So you better be able to answer yourself and respect yourself and uh, be honest and, and then uh, let the chips fall where they're going to. Right. Yeah. Well, and now, especially because you're in this, uh, you know, leading a big company, you are in a leadership position now that that you're role modeling that not only for your employees, for your teammates, now for your daughters as well. How do you navigate those conversations? How do you stay true to yourself? How do you still be kind, but clear, right? I think Brene Brown is the one that says clear is kind. And, and you can be both of those things without being a jack wagon, right? You don't have to brute force your way through life to get to to get to the other side or get to that more valuable place once again. Express yourself before you're angry. Try to understand how you're mm -hmm. feeling and express it not in anger. And that was also very helpful. Is it Was there a phrase or was there a way or a certain language that she shared with you that would start off that sentence or get you down that path? I think what I've learned, and maybe my marriage actually helped me more, was it would never comes from an attack place, but it comes from like, hey, um, this is something I'm seeing or I'm feeling, and I'd just like to maybe talk to you about it because I love you so much or I care so much about this and roll into it instead of coming straight in. It has been a little hard. Now, if it's the third time, I might come straight in, even if it's my husband, but typically first sort of, sort of keeping the ownership over here and making it something about I was feeling, not something that you're doing to me or something that you're not doing. And so I, I found that to be a little bit helpful. Mm -hmm. What a, what a great thing for her to be sharing with college athletes too, right? Learning that, that young, that's huge. How impactful. You barely understood it until you're older. Again, that goes back to the always being a work in progress for sure. So a couple of years from now, maybe you've launched your, your fifth wildly successful company. Maybe your kids are even on board. Who plays you in a movie? Oh my goodness. Who plays me in a movie? I mean, everyone says I look like a little bit more slender, taller Kirstie Alley. Um, I have been compared a lot to Kirstie Alley, the way that I, my appearance. Kirstie Alley in Cheers. I was like, I mean, not, not the one that everyone says is crazy Scientology. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah. 
Right. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's yeah. Great analogy. We did a project for one day with Uma Thurman. We're sort of similar stature, maybe someone like that. Yeah, I think I could see the Uma a little more than Kirsty, but that's just me. I'm not saying that everybody else is wrong, um, but they might be. <laughs> Uma's Uma's a smart gal too, so. So you guys uh, probably have a lot going on there. All right. Last easy question for you. We have $100 yeah. and a full tank of gas, and we both have the day off. Where are we going to go? We're going to the movies. I am going to go sit and just go to another dimension and pretend and just go on a different journey. Is there a particular one you're looking forward to that may be coming out soon? No, I stopped even looking at movies because it's always <laughs> But before, I, before, especially before I had my children, I used to really love to go to little weird art movies. Mm-hmm. Myself, my husband would barely agree to go. There was something about sitting in a dark movie theater and someone, and I really love documentaries, but I, I just love beautiful movies because I appreciate all the work, but I also appreciate going on that, just that two hour tale. Because in a way, because I am so like this all the time, hitting all the marks that this idea of, someone thought about this and, you know, took me on this story. I've always enjoyed. I know. And just, oh, the big dark cold air and the surround sound and all of that. You just don't, as much as I love Netflix and Hulu and and all the good stuff and a lot of great content, a lot of great documentaries on there. Um, it's, it's just a different experience. It's, yeah. it's not, the thundering in your chest from the big Dolby sound and, and all of the good stuff that movie theaters, uh, the experience that it can provide. Well, those were the easy, the easy rapid fire questions. Gabby, if people want to maybe either get in touch with you or follow your journey, where can they find you? What's, what's the best place for them to follow you? If they want to get in touch with me, info at GabbyReese.com. Uh, my podcast is the Gabby Reese show. I'm very unoriginal that way. My Instagram is Gabby Reese and, um, you know, that's it. Gabby, seriously, you're, you're awesome. I wish, you know, I could talk to you a lot more, probably even just about your kids and raising kids. And this is such a crazy time and being an entrepreneur and just all of that, man, you are firing on all cylinders. And I'm so grateful that you took the time out of your super busy schedule to join me in my office. It's been delightful. Thanks for joining me. Aloha. Bye. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you enjoy the show, make sure you take a second to subscribe so you'll automatically get my new shows when they drop. Also, if you enjoyed the conversation today, I'd love if you left us a review so that more fearless leaders, just like you, can discover us. It takes less than 60 seconds and it really makes a difference. And while you're at it, I'd love to hear from you personally on my social channels, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, maybe Clubhouse. And of course, you can always find me at www.carrylorenz.com. Finally, my new book, Span of Control, is out in the world and available on Amazon, Audible, Target, Barnes & Noble, and as always, your favorite indie bookstore. You can also visit me over at carrylorenz.com for exclusive goodies and resources you'll receive today. Thanks again for joining me.